In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing a segment of a live stream we did where we interviewed some top developers, one working on a game called Crossfire.com, and the other one who has built his very own game engine and has 25 years of experience. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to head over to p1om.com contribute. We'd love to have you join us. You can join our open development team where you can actually be a part of us developing our own games and learn about virtual worlds there. Uh, you can join us. You can donate. You can join us as a mentor. Uh, we would love your help in all those different ways. P1OM.com slash contribute. It should be in the show notes as well. I should mention that we are looking for people who have no development skill, who would like to build their skills. Uh, we have lots of tasks for those kind of people. So if you're interested in that, join us. So to start, I'm actually going to give some context for uh, what's, what's a little bit of what's been said. Basically, this game, Crossfar, is being developed by Cav. Cav is here now. And uh, Cav has been working. How long have you been working on this game, Cav? Actually, two years and a little bit more than that. We can go ahead and get the ball rolling. I want to start with a sample question here. So um, one of the things I want to know is looking back, going to the very start of the development here, uh, what would you what would you do differently if you were to start today? Um, what I would do differently? Honestly, a lot of uh, the development process went very smooth because I was uh, already very experienced with it. Uh, um, it wasn't my first project. Yeah. It um, so I think I did most of the things the way God meant it to be. <laughs> but yeah, like because it's a very standard process. Because when you start your project, uh, you start with game design. You start with three um, uh, D art. With you start with level design. Then you go to your uh, programming. And you try multiple different types of uh, things or balancing there are a lot of things come coming to play when you're trying to make a, a, a competitive game and um, honestly um, it did a lot of balancing work after the game was uh, in beta yeah but the whole process went very smooth uh, but um, due to the experience I had with the game development and the production pipeline and everything mm -hmm. i don't think there is anything i would do very much differently yeah because uh, i didn't really face a problem that i couldn't really just like i had to go back and do over gotcha, uh, gotcha. yeah you know, I find game development can sometimes be like building a Jenga tower and sometimes your early decisions kind of lock you in later. Like people who want to change from single player to multiplayer, you just can't do that. But it sounds like your experience really carried you through in a powerful way. Um, tell us more about like the years of experience you've had in the past that have and the lessons you've learned that have really helped you. Okay, that is a really good one. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> what really helped me with this one was that I ha I was working on a couple of different other projects with different companies yep. during my uh, years, so I was able to uh, not repeat a lot of mistakes during those times that were like happening. Gotcha. As since probably like when when I was a junior, uh, uh, I got to witness a lot of uh, different uh, types of. Uh, productions that were going on and 
there was always there, whenever you uh, develop a pr product you, there is definitely a lot of problems that you're gonna solve there is a lot on your table you might lose time you might uh, lose your energy over something it's it's all about prior prioritizing what comes first and what comes last and then um, uh, uh, getting feedback while you're developing after a certain point is very important because you don't want to make a uh, lot of things that are in the wrong direction you mm -hmm. got to make uh, sure that you get feedback from a, a selected group of players at least that you trust yeah uh, they would give you decent honest feedback gotcha. and uh, that is very helpful uh, because um, a lot of things when it comes to making games uh, a lot of things is not just good programming uh, a lot of it is just good game design and um, mm -hmm. good game design actually takes a lot of work it's uh, not to be taken lightly because after all all those years of learning how to program or learning how to make good shaders good vfx good uh, graphics everything uh, it's not gonna feel good it's not gonna feel right if the game design isn't fun to play so mm -hmm. uh, there there is a uh, very important role uh, to uh, consider when it comes to designing a new game, especially a competitive game uh, that players are going to play together and they, they, you know how it gets, they take it very seriously and you as the developer are supposed to take it very seriously yourself. Yep. For example, one instance is that each of these drones have uh, three abilities mm -hmm. and those abilities are what makes uh, the meat and potato of this game because because yep. um, uh, 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 those abilities are what changes the game yep. and when when you are thinking about it on the player's perspective one of the drones which is called a battle wings has an ability that is uh, a smoke screen so basically what it is is it drops a smoke uh, bomb in the space, so it uh, kind of like provides concealment. Yeah. While you want to run away or you want to hide behind or whatever, you can still shoot them from one side. They can still shoot you, but they cannot see you and you cannot see them. So that's what it does. Gotcha. But uh, one of the things that were very important was to make it as same, like what, what I see as a player on my client side. Yeah. And what you see as another player on your client side, on that uh, smoke uh, particle effect, yeah. should be as same as possible. Okay. Because the smoke is like, uh, the edges especially are like fuzzy. Imagine. So yeah. you can see through it. Yeah. Uh, so you can see through parts of it. And that, that needs to be kind of the same thing that's going on on the same side. Because then you could see me, but I couldn't see you. And that would create an edge to like give give one of the players at, at an unfair advantage. So gotcha. there's a lot that comes into the game, especially when it's a multiplayer competitive game. I can imagine. So uh, what your experience told you is to get a ton of feedback from the players and not just to build something really big and worry about that later, but just to invest in that time and effort in listening to what the playing, the playing community really wants from the game, it seems. Of course, yes, yeah. uh, that is true, yeah. Uh, let's use your real names, by the way. Uh, shall I introduce you guys by your real names? Uh, Shia, what's your real name? 
Actually, it's David. Hey, David. Nice to meet you that way. <laughs> um, and Kev, what's your, if you don't mind, that is, what's your real name? Yes, my name is Kavashomidi, and uh, the short version is just Kav. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I, I talk about, or I, uh, you know, bring up before people often is, would you recommend, how would you recommend making, a, let's say you're starting your journey of making games, what sort of size of game would you start with? What do you, what do you guys consider to be a good starting size of a project? can start with this one because I've done this recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, when I started learning, um, my eyes were much bigger than my head. Yep. So I wanted to make the Warcraft. Oh but my gosh. That's that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. So what I started to do was do do small stuff. I did a Space Invaders, but did yep. a little bit of a twist on it. Or I've been playing around with multiplayer Space Invaders. Yeah. Um, do stuff like. You know, tic-tac-toe, the memory games, yep. solitaire, you know, just work your, work your way up from small to what we're watching on screen now, because I don't think I could do what, what he's doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously amazed, Cav, that this is, is this is entirely a solo development. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm struggling to believe. <laughs> is that the case? Oh, thank you. You're just being kind. Uh, yeah. Well, honestly, I had one friend that helped me with the APIs that uh, do like the friend requests and things like that. Yeah. And I'm eternally grateful for that because back then I didn't know any uh, web development. Yeah. Uh, I did know a little bit of web development, but not a lot of it. So that experience that uh, a veteran web developer helped me out with something yeah helped me a lot because um i got to learn from one of the very best one thing that i wasn't aiming to learn but i had to yeah <laughs> so it was it was a painful process but i actually that 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 did help a lot cool. but other than that the game development and things like that sound design um the the game design and everything else yeah it is a other than the uh, web port, it is a solo dev development <laughs> process. That is true. Wow, this is this is amazing. I mean, the amount that would go into making something like this, and I would, I'd also like to say this is an absolutely beautifully done game. I mean, I love the visual effects. Is all this done in Unity? It's actually Unreal Engine. Gotcha, gotcha. I was thinking this. There's, there's a lot of pop to this game, and um, I don't know, I'm actually a little bit behind on this because I haven't checked up on it. Can you export from Unreal Engine to other platforms these days, or is that uh, still difficult? Uh, to other platforms, you mean like uh, uh, iOS, Android, like... all those kind of platforms? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Actually, uh, it's not as out of the box as Unity yet, uh, like you need a, a certain amount of... Um, I don't know, normalization or like uh, standard uh, coding yep. and things like that to make sure that your application is actually going on uh, App Store or like things like that for, for uh, there is a reviewing uh, process that's going on. Yep. But other than that, the engine itself comes with everything that you require to uh, develop a game for uh, any platform really, just gotcha. Mac, uh, Windows, uh, Linux, uh, all the consoles and everything. Yeah, it cool. is much better these days. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know if this is like a if this is a very difficult large thing to take on because procedural generation I hear can be notoriously difficult. Um, what would you say about that? Um, what would be your strategy, your approach to dealing with procedural generation? Would you be scripting it uh, from the start? Would you use something else that's already out there? Uh, give us some some of your insights. I would say either of you, Shioil or uh, Cav. I've actually been looking. I've actually been looking at procedural generation a lot lately. Have you? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there's a game that I have in the back of my mind that needs like a little bit of a procedural cave generation. Mm -hmm. And I love. There's another game I play, which I don't know if we sh if I should mention since you know you're free copyright to, and stuff. No, but, you're, you're all good. But it's it, it's called Deep Rock Galactic, and it's mm -hmm. got some of the best cave generation I've ever seen. I would love to figure out how they do it. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some plugins, but the problem I have with most plugins is either they're needlessly expensive yeah, or they're super complex, and I'm a person who likes to tinker. So I, I would personally, I'm trying to learn my own system, so then... I can modify it. I can customize it. I don't really care about selling it, but yeah. I have the ability to change it and make it the way I want it to be. But yeah, that is my goal in the next couple of years is figure out good generation of whatever islands, caves, worlds, which is why I was very, very interested in, in what was it? Holy war. Is that who it was earlier? His, uh, his procedural generation. I think I'm gonna bug him later. So, <laughs> yeah, that looks fantastic. Holy War, you've done a you've done an incredible job um, of doing that. In fact, it's it's interesting because uh, it's also that same space theme. I feel like I I get lost many times on YouTube videos about uh, procedural generation of stuff in space. It's just it's just so fascinating to take those same take some principles and render worlds in a digital space. I feel like that's why we have so many games which have some sort of world element, you know, because it's like, it's just, it feels like it's just, you're almost able to explore something you couldn't explore in physical life by making it in, in a digital world, you know? And the nice thing about space is the universe is so large, we don't know what everything looks like. So it could mm -hmm. very possibly be what we're seeing, so. Absolutely, absolutely. I, uh, I I have a planet type in uh, the procedural generation engine I'm working on where mm -hmm. the seas are actually Mercury, um, cool. which is actually not possible <laughs> in the real world. But who cares? It's a space game, right? So, so uh, you're suggesting would never be possible in space, even? Yeah, because uh, Mercury uh, is too rare of an element; it wouldn't condense in enough. There's no like element of precipitation or anything. There's no way for the liquids to collect in any form where it could actually exist as an ocean. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. Um, just like I, you know, did some research on the physics. Like, you know, so when I worked on my procedural generation, is what I did is I um, essentially figured out, and it's a really simple model: is I have a star, and the star has eight orbits, yep. and at each orbit, I determine what the temperature would approximately be based on that orbit, and I yep. use fuzzy numbers. It's not a real; I'm not using astronomical units or anything. It's just a fuzzy, you know, position zero or position eight, yep. um, and essentially, then I give it a temperature range, and then I looked up on the periodic table of elements all the various elements and what phases they would be at at particular temperatures, yep. and then that's how I determine the elements. The elements are actually what I use to determine the colors of everything. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and when the shader draws it, you know, it, it draws it as a, you know, it's essentially just a bunch of noise layered on top of each other, like you would use in Photoshop. Um, but this noise is essentially rendered, as far as the shader is concerned, as a value of zero to one. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And that, that's your height map. 
And so you would say, okay, well, this planet is a sulfur planet, so its mountain's going to have this particular kind of element in it, and so that's the color it would be. And that's kind of how I approached it. That's fascinating. I, I just, I get taken away by that stuff. It, it, it just, I feel like you could get lost almost forever in, in such a world, uh, making such worlds that's just so, uh, so intriguing, you know, and uh, I just think it's, I think it's awesome. So let's open it up one more time. Feel free, guys. Yeah. If you have a question, a thought, a concern, something you want to share, jump in. This is your opportunity. Uh, you can uh, speak in Twitch chat or you can speak right here uh, in this chat. Uh, you are perfectly welcome. Um, I probably have one question. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you host uh, your games for the games that you have made? Multiplayer hosting or like yeah, uploading yeah. to? Oh, okay, multiplayer. Gotcha. Multiplayer hosting. Like, is it uh, one server instance or for each game there's one instance? Mm -hmm. So. Um, uh, that is a really good question. I want to uh, link you to a bunch of different services out there. Uh, one of them is a service developed by Epic Games. Uh, let me check it out. And uh, they are actually developing a very good service for hosting your game, hosting your voice chat and things it's like uh, that. Some kind of solution for Unreal Engine. Yes, uh, and uh, they actually they actually have it uh, available for Unity or other engines as well. Doesn't matter what engine you are creating your game with. Another uh, really good uh, like it depends on what are you capable of working with and uh, what are your resources. But if you have a little bit of experience with um, backend and things like that. I highly recommend uh, Amazon Web Services. They are really they, they have a really good team. They have a really amazing uh, service going on called GameLift. Uh, that is uh, basically very good. Um, I highly recommend that. And um, another uh, way to go is like the basically like you could just host a game on your own computer. Uh, which is what we did back then when we were getting started. Just, just one on one computer, essentially? You just run one server on your one computer for okay. a limited... Uh, yeah, but if you want to run a fleet, uh, which is basically like uh, when I said AWS, uh, I mean, uh, Fortnite is using AWS, and you yeah. guys uh, probably know Fortnite has like the biggest player base ever mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a huge player base so the the services that amazon provides are reliable very fast very good and uh amazing i highly recommend that cool hey kev awesome. are you talking about the game lift service through amazon exactly yes yeah that's uh that's an amazing offering Really is. is it one of those land grab things where they're they're discounting severely to get lots of people in to to gain establishment in that space? Probably. I don't know if Not they really. still are. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. Maybe that at the beginning they were giving some uh, um, some I don't know like scholarships to a bunch of people, but mm -hmm. uh, honestly nowadays it's very well known between the between the community and everything else. Yeah. And it is actually very good reliable service that many big companies are using and cool. it's not uh, cheap yeah um, it, it is not <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it is not cheap, definitely, but it is very reliable. If it, it all depends on how far you want to go and how uh, good you need your servers to be, how reactive and responsive you need your servers to be. But if you are looking for some, something uh, high tier, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've been following GameLift ever since uh, Amazon Game Studios started up for uh, New World. Because that was kind of their base for doing it. It's basically what it is. It's a service that uses all of their other services, gateways, you know, Cognito, Lambdas, everything. It's just it's all in one package. So you're you're using all their services, which is why it's expensive, but it's also exceedingly uh, reliable. So it is a good thing if you have a game that you think is going to be high traffic, you want something stable, you think you can be able to pay for it through your like subscription model, then it's probably the best way to go. Sounds good. Yeah, that, yeah I agree with that. I feel like, uh, you know, uh, Amazon really revolutionized things. Back when I was actually creating my first websites, I don't think there was Amazon Web Services. And boy, did my websites go down all of the time because we had no idea how <laughs> so to do any of that you, tech. <laughs> uh, have got your answer, dra Dragon, right? Uh, I will check that game if I didn't know about it. I know there's a Photon for Unity. Is it something like that? Uh, so the way that Unreal runs its game servers, and I do that in air quotes, I know you can't see me. Its game servers, it's, it's basically a version of the game that runs pretty much headless. Uh, you can... Um, can you define headless? Correct me if I'm wrong, Kev. So, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm using terms yeah. that I use all the time. Uh, so Headless is it just runs in the background as a server. There is no actual client that it's playing. Okay. But it's just there. However, the server is a client by itself. Mm -hmm. Like there's some games that I've seen on Unreal that there's like a ghost player sitting around yep. because it was a beta version and that's how they had the server working. Yeah. So, uh, so it runs as a version of the game. It's just the server version of the game. Yeah. And like I, I have several Unreal games that I run on AWS, just uh, EC2 instances, yep. Satisfactory, and and stuff like that. Um, now, Unity is a little bit different because it uses this. You can do kind of the same thing, but it uses a lot of services like. Photon, which offloads a lot of the um, multiplayer stuff to another service, whereas, you know, Unreal's doing it all on server, so, or most of it on server. I'm sure there's there's stuff like Photon for Unreal, but I've never used stuff like that for Unreal. I've just used the main game server. I will say and I've Kev, used Photon in the past, and I was able to make a multiplayer game really quickly with Photon. Yeah, and yeah I was Photon is really well. I also I like know, Photon. though, that Wildlands switched out of Photon due to major issues with Photon at scale. So um, I feel like this is one of those conundrums where it's super easy to make something small, but if you, a lot of people end up making their own solution when they want to make something yeah. significantly bigger, you know? And there's the other version. Uh, what's the other multiplayer thing for um, Mirror and Mirror, Fishback. yeah, that's... That's the one that was what spawned off of the inbred Unity network engine, and it became its own project. And they're slowly getting that more fleshed out. It's it's pretty good. Um, there are some issues with it still. <laughs> it's still kind of in active development. So there's also Fishnet network. Fish network. For oh yeah, I've been one. yeah I've been reading about that one. I haven't really had a chance to play around with it much at all yet. Yeah, but uh, I wanted to understand like. 
for multiplayer games uh, where there's many people, especially if it's like a mash type game, like five vs five. Uh, like how does multiplayer work behind there? Is like multiple matches on one instance of the server side, or for uh, each match there's a new instance created? haven't really been watching your game cab do you use lobbies in multiple matches and stuff like that or is it just one big map that you're using he's got lobbies multiple um live you know like you queue up okay you go in i was amazed at how well photon does that by the way it does that very very quickly and easily it's plug and play uh you know and you have your game multiplayer right away of course it's paid at uh, you know like you're paying for those people to use that quite quickly. Correct. Yeah. But and and that's one of the nice things about Utah uh, Photon is it comes with that. Uh, well, both that and mirrors. It has that lobby built in, whereas like with Unreal. Yeah. Um, I've been playing around recently with an Unreal um learning site that uh, we're working on a Steam lobby plugin. So it's yeah. all C plus plus, and you know you're using Steam for your lobby. So yeah. No, I think that's uh. That's really interesting. I think that, uh, how do I say this? Um, it really depends on the size and scope of your game. You know, what do you want to do? Is it something that is like, you know, lobby based and you enter a game and you have combat? Or do you want to do something that's out of the box? And I think the more you want to do something out of the box, the more you should think about getting your own custom solution built or or working with something that's a back end, but not doesn't have that front end component, you know? Yeah. Custom. And let me just say, when it comes to that, Netcode is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And this netcode seems to be working fantastically, Cav. Any any hints for the the, the mere mortals here? Oh. <laughs> oh well, uh, first of all, uh, excuse me, because I lost my connection for a few minutes. No and problem. I was trying to get back. Uh, so I think the uh, question is about um, the lobby system and uh, the way that uh, matchmaking works right mm -hmm. uh the question okay. is how did you make it so stable it, it even feels like you know when i'm shooting at other ships here it feels like i'm making contact and there's no problem with it you know um netcode is hard as we were talking about uh what that were some of the true. challenges and and how did you make it work oh man okay that's a big one because <laughs> yep. it is a huge uh, question <laughs> it's something that never ends uh, it's about optimization okay. once you start a project you try to uh, design everything correctly and um, especially in this particular project it was really a giant challenge because uh, yeah. everything is huge the map is huge there's a few miles from this gate to that gate there's a uh, there's projectiles that are moving at a light speed and there are drones that flying at a speed that is very fast and that needs very fast replication yep. that needs uh, that requires a little bit of like um, between different clients there needs to be like on your end it kind of uh, how do I put it uh, predicts my next move as another client and it tries to uh, keep up with the server and that is a challenge to design and other than that, there is uh, knowing uh, when to use uh, multicast, when to use run on server, when to use run on client, or just a normal function. 
And, Can you describe um, a multicast, did you say? Yes. Uh, well, basically, multicast is one thing that comes with uh, Unreal Engine. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a system that is event system. Yeah. An event can be uh, run on client, run on server, or run as a multicast. So basically, what a multicast is, is a function or an event that is only callable by server. And uh, the server, when once the server calls it, it happens on every single client as well. Yeah. So it is faster than run on server um but it is something to consider where you need to really do it because sometimes you cannot do multicast yep. because that would create a huge problem for yep. example if you're spawning a new projectile you might end up spawning five new projectiles if you have five players in the game so you 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 really want to make sure you know those concepts yeah and um other than that, there are a lot of things that requires uh, optimization over and over. Uh, probably, like just recently, we did something that there was a complaint about how the movement was a little bit jittery mm -hmm. during the game because the drones are obviously very moving very fast. Yeah, and that requires a very fast connection to the internet. Yep. on both sides to, to see it very well. Yeah. So that's when I came up with the uh, idea of, okay, this client and that other client need to have uh, access to a lot of data mm -hmm. and run a lot of data on, um, and, and run basically run that data to um, predict the next move so yep. it can fill that gap between two frames, uh, not two, two actual frames, but uh, two um, pings from the server to the client. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I wanted to I, I want to switch gears a little bit uh, to something that will help those who are a little bit new to the field also. So I have a question. You know, there's a big temptation in the game development space, and I think with anything complicated, to kind of build a little bit of a prototype and then to abandon and to switch to your next project. How do you how do you keep yourself motivated? throughout your project and to keep going until the very end and this question is open to all uh to anybody here that's making a game i'd have to admit that i am guilty of that horribly <laughs> it's so you would hard not believe it? how many you would not believe how many open projects i have and i look at them going man i really want to finish that but <laughs> i am exceedingly adhd yeah. so it's it's hard for me to focus sometimes <laughs> I feel it, man. I feel that. So I can't. I can't say that I have a a good uh, response to that, other than it does happen. <laughs> Happens a lot. Kev, how about you? How, how have you kept yourself on track? Oh uh, well, that's a very good question because it's a really big problem with uh, a lot of students that I had, or like um, to keep your keep themselves motivated enough to finish the project. So yeah. Start. One thing that I always personally do is that I don't start a project uh, as a design in my head mm -hmm. until I'm completely sure that I'm going to commit to it. Okay. And I do not scrap a project until I'm completely sure that I'm never going to look back. Interesting. That's yeah that's very that's very helpful because it helps me. Okay, I always work on just one project, not 10 different things. Yep. I might get like a small commission thingy or like uh, help another friend during or whenever I take a break, yep. but I don't open two different tasks uh, on two different branches 
uh, okay. in front of me because it requires a lot of focus to develop a big game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I do. I only work on one. I put my focus on it. I do not scrap it easily. Yeah. And I do not start it easily. It's a, it's a tough balance, isn't it? Because uh, I feel like at the beginning, even if you just scrap projects, you know, that can be helpful and healthy. But at some point you have to like get the discipline to finish and to say, okay, you know, I've got to not just think about this. I've got to go through with finishing this up. Um, you know, I think that's really important. Otherwise you're just gonna, I, I see, I get to see so many portfolios because we have a lot of people jump in here. Uh, and I get to see so many portfolios and, and so many of them are just piles of half done projects and nothing ever completed. And I feel like you, you, you betray yourself at some point if you're not able to have the gusto to, to bring something to completion, you know? I agree with that. And I think a good way to kind of jump into that is, you know, find yourself a game jam, find a week, a two week game jam, do yep. it, finish something, right? Yep. Which once again, I have been guilty of not finishing my game jam projects, <laughs> but that's mostly because uh, that's mostly due to personal life issues more yeah. than anything else. Uh, but um, I've had like, I've had been a, you know, in a couple of game jams where we were just going along, we're like, this is a pretty good game. And then something happens and we just never got a chance to complete it. But yeah. it is a good learning process. You get to learn how to work with other people, artists, sound people, you know, it's just, it's it's a great learning, uh, learning opportunity. And would you say that's a good starting point for those who are really new to game dev or should you be building some things yourself first? That's a tough one because uh, and the way I learned was, uh, I, since I knew, I knew the language, right. Mm -hmm. I went ahead and just jumped into some of the more advanced tutorials, made some, made some simple games, you know, solitaire, like I said, space invaders. And yep. then I was like, I think I'm ready to work with other people now. And that's just the way I work. Now, other people are different. Sometimes you learn better when you fail hard. Yep. Right. So the the thing is you can't be afraid of failure if you're gonna fail learn something from it right and that's the yeah. big thing people just think if i failed it was just a waste of time well it was never a waste of time what did you learn exactly exactly awesome i think those are some really good great, great answers um go ahead somebody was uh, jumping in yeah i was just gonna say that go ahead Albert. Yeah, uh, I just think you have to push yourself sometimes because I think no matter the project, so at some point you're just gonna feel burned out and you're gonna not feel like work on the project. Yeah, but I think you really just sometimes you just have to push yourself to work, even if you don't feel like it. And I feel then, like the good goes with the bad, doesn't it? it like there's there's the there's yeah. the, gold, the Goldilocks phase, and but then there's the I don't want to do this phase. But if you don't, if you only take the good and never take the tough stuff, you never you never get to that point where you have something accomplished. And I, I know I'll have listeners that that uh, are from the metaverse space and don't know, but you know, making games. This is. Uh, am, am I fair to say that uh, anybody jumping into making games, you're starting a ten year journey at minimum? Uh, because I feel like. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, and uh, you know, how do I say it? It's so easy to not to not go through and not finish anything uh, in that yeah. time, and, and it leaves you feeling like was that all a waste of time, waste of energy? You know. 
as people say, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Yeah. I have been on a lot of discords for game development just as helper, right? Because I know language well enough yeah. that uh, people are on there just saying, I, I can't figure this out. And we're like, well, did you do any research? And they're like, why would I do that? I'm like, yeah. well, because you're, lear you're learning. Yeah. And they're like, no, just tell me how to do it. And I'm like, ah, no, that's not going to get you anywhere. You need to kind of search and... Let us know what your actual problem is. Like, what are you understanding? But mm -hmm. yes, it is a long-term journey. It's you have to build upon, you know, what you're learning and failures and and just you know, everyone. A any information you can get is good information. Well, most of it. I'm not going to say any yeah. because there is some really bad information out there. <laughs> How I look at it is uh, there's a lot more smart people than me. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the more I'm surrounded by those people, the, the further I'm going to end up going. Um, I'm doing things in a radically different way, and I don't know if it's actually possible in that, you know, um, I am building a community and going about building games through building a community, which I understand why people don't do it because it's actually a lot. It seems like it's almost a lot harder work than building a game. Um, even to have a large team and to get them to communicate is extremely tough. In fact, studies show that I think the the difference between five and seventeen is pretty negligible in uh, in game development team size because it's so hard to actually get the communication to function. So, um, but you you hit that level. I'm not sure what the what that exact number was. That was something from Corey, one of our mentors, telling us about that. But anyway, you hit that level where you eventually uh, do benefit. But it, there takes a lot of systems and processes to uh, to really derive a lot of benefit from a large team and i can understand why because you know i go through that and i and i'm learning about developing those systems and processes every day and it's, it's fascinating to me i'm just enamored by the people the community the systems the processes i'm so into the production side that you know i can love it and live it but most people shouldn't probably be doing large teams but teaming up with like two or three people that they get along with that have something of real commitment because i keep hearing this thing where you team up with one or two people and then they have those two people abandon your project within day five you know or week two and uh, then you're left doing everything on your own uh, that's a terrible way of doing things you got to find some people that have already committed and created something so that you know that they're the people of some level of commitment you know that's my and and I I can just like chime into that because mm -hmm. I've been on different size development teams in in my life. I've been on a three person team and I've been on a team that had three hundred in it. Yep. And I'll say that there is there is a Goldilocks number in there, but it it's it's hard to find. Yep. And the bigger the team, it's just the harder it is to wrangle everyone. Yep. Exactly. But then again, you have if you have a like super tiny team, two people, if one person leaves, then you're kind of up a creek as well. So it's yeah. it's a really weird balancing act. Definitely is. I, I I have put all my eggs in the basket of at the at a certain scale, you're going to accelerate beyond that point if you put in fantastic systems and processes. Um, and that's one I'm I'm hoping to prove. I don't think, and this is something I'd bring before you guys. I'll get back on topic in a moment, but I don't think there's many communities out there that are hobbyist communities doing large-scale cooperative team development on projects. Have you guys seen that before? Just curious. In a, in one or two instances, there actually are a bunch of uh, people who are doing it, but yep. it comes usually to modding rather than... Um, 
development itself because it's hard to find uh, a community that aren't a company that are actually like committed to a project that is something that the mothers do benefit from yeah which is just out of passion but uh when it's uh when it becomes a job it's a little bit harder to maintain mm -hmm. that uh that working ethic i think so i think yeah so. i would agree with that one yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's keep asking or answering your questions. I do apologize. Let me know if the stream is a little bit too um, has a little bit too much of an issue, or if you can see me. I see that I'm dropping a bunch of frames here, unfortunately. Um, but let me know how that's going. Actually, you know what? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll say that we. I'll let you guys know that we have game keys coming out uh, very very soon um, at the end of this uh, time. Uh, that you guys can jump in and we'll have a little play session of this game so we're getting a few free copies and uh, a discount copy i'd like to talk really quickly uh, how do people cav uh, get this game and how can they get the p1om exclusive discount for all those who are listening uh, okay uh, so the game is actually available for public to uh, enjoy in crossfar.com okay crossfar.com so right Yes. Awesome. Uh, C R O S S F A R dot com. Awesome. So um, the once you get there, it's very uh, pretty much like simple. You see a sign up form. Underneath the sign up form, uh, there is a mm, there is a text box that you can uh, write down your code if you have one, mm -hmm. and that code gives you a discount and. Uh, you can use P1OM, uh, not caps, just like P1OM, yep. lowercase, to um, get 50% discount on the game. And gotcha. we do have, uh, for our friends here, we do have uh, our own codes. So cool. we're going to play after. Sounds good. So we, we have a few codes to give away, and you can actually get a discount on the game if you head to crossfar.com and put in P1OM. I think that's a massive 50% discount. Is that right? Something like that? It was a massive yes, discount. Yes, it is. So yeah. crossfar.com. Get yourself half off the game. It's fantastic. I'm playing it right now, as you can see, and uh, I'm just amazed that this is... I, 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 will, I will say my impressions of it so far is it's, it's extremely satisfying in that it, it doesn't do what most games do with auto-aim, and yet it's easy enough to hit a target. So there's a real problem with games that don't use auto-aim in that it's extremely hard to actually hit anything. But I feel like there's contact between me and what my intention is and what I'm trying to hit. I think the projectiles are large enough for that, and... And there feels like there's a whole bunch of different roles that are really specific and I haven't figured all that out yet, but it, it, there's something really, there's meat and bones to this. That's what I feel. That's my feeling so far. Yeah, one of the uh, special things about the game is that you you can use your special abilities with one and two keys mm -hmm. or three keys. Uh, uh, just on your number pads up there. Gotcha. And uh, each of the drones have their own special unique roles. Yep. Some of them are tanks, some of them are just uh, reconnaissance, some of them are just uh, DPS. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, it's meant to be played as a team. Um, gotcha. And those abilities combined actually create an opportunity to go all the way through other teams' gate. Yeah. It's kind of impossible to do it like alone. 
yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Anyway, my my feeling is this will this will be a game you guys will genuinely enjoy. So definitely go out there and get it. All right. So uh, without further ado, uh, if you guys have a thought or a question, uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. I want to prioritize you guys. I have tons of thoughts and questions, and I love to have these kind of sessions where we're all teaching each other. Uh, but you can also ask me. I, uh, you know, I've done a lot of marketing in the past, and uh, I'm happy. Uh, Cav, you, you're you're free to ask me any questions you have on getting games out there. Although I would say you're doing absolutely fantastic. The idea that you have 700 co-current, uh, there's a lot of big companies that are not accomplishing 700 co-current. I know we always see the winners, and this is one of the things I will say about marketing is everybody just expects their game to be a winner because they only play winners, right? Uh, there was a in World War II, this is this is something called the survivor uh, bias. A lot of jets came back with holes in certain areas, so they thought, why don't we put armor in those areas? Because you know that's where they're getting shot up. And somebody theorized, well, no, we shouldn't put armor in those areas because those are the ones coming back. It's the ones that didn't come back that had the holes in the other areas. They armored all the other areas. And I really feel like that's really important for games is don't look at the successes, look at the failures and believe that your game will be a failure so that you'll take the action necessary to make it a success. Uh, that's my two cents. But I want to hear your specific questions. I'd love to answer not my thoughts about what your questions will be, but uh, what your questions are. Feel free, jump in. I have a question for you, Sam, because mm -hmm. it's as a as a solo dev, yep. would you say that you could have the best game in the world? Like it looks beautiful. It has great gameplay, good sound. But if you can't get the word out, it doesn't matter. You know, like if I you would can't say get it's good actually. marketing. So, um, you know, one of the things I, I did uh, in the early days is I, I copied some code out of a website and I built a Facebook app and I went ridiculously viral. There's an old saying, uh, the race is not to the swift, the war is not to the strong, but time and chance overtakes them both. There is a huge element of pure blind luck and that is not something that you can quantify and it's not something anybody calculates on and you can make an amazing game and have it picked up with zero marketing it's just you cannot count on that that's not a formula that any serious company depends on because if you count on blind luck then you know your chances of winning the lottery are extremely extremely small some people do and some people do really well and that can happen um, but the the reality is that you don't know people. Uh, you don't know those around you. You don't know what the greater world looks like. We all think we are the, uh, you know, the epitome of what the world likes and what the world thinks. We have no idea if there's one person or 10 people who will love your game idea. There will be 10, I'm sure. Whatever game you make, there's going to be 10 people who love your game idea. But if you want to sell the game, you probably want to see if there's more than 10. Um, and so it's really important to you know, get out there and see if there's people that are interested in the concept before you create all of the concept because you'll there's a good chance and I'll say probably there's a majority chance you're wasting your time. Sorry. I that's a really a, strong a little bit of market research up front is what you're saying. Market research definitely helps, but I think uh strategy in how you make the okay. game is really important to be to be able to market it. So uh, what I'm thinking about um, with our game, and again, my experience is not in games, so I can't say I'm an expert in games itself. But uh, what I would say is, you know, I, I look at how to, how we can bake market again. Like, can the gameplay, can people see the unique selling point of my game in a 14-second GIF? If not, 
then how am I going to sell this game to the masses? How am I going to make it a great success? Because people aren't willing to give you more than 8 to 14 seconds. 14 is lucky, 8 is standard, you know, to figure right. out if they care about your game or if it's worth their time. So, typically. Okay. Just a quick question. I know mm -hmm. that, you know, if you put a game on Steam, doesn't mean it's going to sell. So, yeah, kind of want to get it out there. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, everything goes. Uh, I see... Uh, how I look at it is every algorithm is very manipulatable um, and every algorithm starts as very manipulatable at the beginning and very useful at the beginning and very unmanipulatable and very difficult later on. So you look at YouTube's algorithm, you look at TikTok's algorithm, you look at Facebook's algorithm, starts simple, becomes more complicated to deal with all the different diverging interests, starts easily manipulatable and becomes much harder. So if you started on Steam a long time ago, uh, it may be that Steam needed you. Now Steam doesn't really need you. Steam is really busy right. trying to deal with the few people, the few stakeholders that it's concerned with. Um, but it doesn't necessarily need your game. And there's something like 30 games on average coming out. And that was that's old data uh, every day on Steam. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, have big marketing budgets and they are well entrenched and they're definitely going to make sales because if people have seen the game before they see it on Steam for the first time, they're much more likely to buy it. And guess who knows that? Steam. Right. They are doing, right. yep. you know, they're going to surface the game that do makes the most money. So um, this this is the same with ads. Right. People assume that if they make an ad, that if they pay a certain amount, they'll get it out there no matter what. But actually, the ads system is tracking who's making sales. Right. So it wants the company to make sales and it's going to help them make sales. And in order to make sales, what it's going to do is it's going to track those who convert. And so if your product doesn't convert, you're going to be paying a lot more for the advertisement than if your product converts, right? Uh, and so in the same way, you know, with games, Steam, very likely, I don't know Steam in detail, is going to be tracking which games sell. And the, the games that sell are much more likely the games which have been seen on an advertisement. Let's say, you know, you've been hearing about this game for years coming out. Let's take No Man's Sky, for, for example. They had a notorious uh, bit of marketing that they did. Um, and, you know, uh, they, they overpromised a little bit, little bit. The game is great now. But anyway, if you see all of that, a lot of people bought that game without knowing much about it because they're like, yep. hey, I've heard cool things on these other platforms. Let's just imagine Steam is hosting a game like that. Guess what? They're going to get a lot more sales, a lot more conversions with, with that game than yours. So you need to think about that it's a competition and how are you going to win that competition, you know? I think that's essential. Okay. Yeah. Yes, that's a really good one. And uh, one of the uh, things that I wanted to say is that Samuel, I really appreciate this because I don't mm -hmm. have a lot of experience definitely on marketing. Yep. I, uh, still consider myself like a marketing uh, intern so it really helps me a lot to be here and like learn from you a lot uh, and so one of the things that mm -hmm. is very important when it comes to um to games is uh, brand awareness yeah what is the best way to actually gain brand awareness um i don't uh, look i don't come to things typically uh from the perspective of people being aware of the brand. Uh, what I look for is people who are interested in a particular thing, right? So let's say I'm marketing this game right here, Crossfire. What I would look at is my cohort. My cohort would probably include people who play very similar games. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't know that many. Uh, I think this, this game, 
Um, what are some games similar to Crossfire? Let's just, uh, I'll, ha I'll ask you the question. <clears throat> uh, well, the thing is that this game is actually, might be one of the few uh, games that are eSport and space-based. Okay, gotcha. Um, but honestly, the games that are very, very uh, much of the same core concept mm -hmm. might be games like uh, Overwatch or um, um, maybe space. Some there are some other space games out there that aren't multiplayer too. Yeah, uh, that do uh, have the space thing about it like so one of the things is uh, people who like space and people who like competitions yep okay so you're looking like, at a well, very specific crowd so you're identifying something that i would definitely identify first and foremost is who's my target audience right that's that's something i look at right away and um you know you're looking they're a competitive gamer right so uh we actually have uh, a little bit of uh, an emotions-based slideshow, I could say. I don't know. But we look at this when we think about um, the people that we want to target, right? And so let's take a look really quickly at this right here. Can uh, I interrupt you a second? Yeah, jump in. I am, I am your target audience. Love space. Cool. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there is one interesting space game, uh, Project Genesis. Have you heard about that one? I have um, been looking at that one. Let's take a look here at this is this is an emotional color wheel, right? So the game we're making here at P1OM right now uh, is very much in the yellow, green and blues, right? And what I'm thinking is your game is going to be in the reds and ignore the fact that there's hatred and distrustful here. Uh, basically, what you're thinking about is an emotional wheel and aggression tends to be in the red, right? So a person who's very aggressive is very red, but they're also tend to be highly productive people uh, are, are in the red. They're, they're get it done kind of people, uh, but they're also really competitive. And that's the kind of person you're probably going to be targeting with a game like this. People who are really intense and competitive. So digging in and really understanding who you're customer base is, uh, I think is the first step. And really, you want to you want to identify with the customer in a way that you love them. Like, you know, you are one of them. You, you uh, personalities are flexible. Do your best to become the customer, to become the target audience, to understand what they do, where they go, where they hang out, what they love. You'll notice that many advertisements are not like you should drink Coca-Cola, right? Or drink this because it's good for you but they associate like pepsi or whatever with like a movement of people on the street like that that famous ad with uh, kendall jenner or whatever like on the street it's a movement and why they've gotten into the emotion the emotion that people are feeling when they make the de the, the decision to buy the product and they are tapping into that in a very very different way than would be very straightforward like you know, drinking Pepsi is enjoyable. No, they're talking about drinking Pepsi is associated with youth and uh, in this case, maybe a little bit of rebellion and change and all these kind of things that they want to uh, plug into their product. And uh, that's that's marketing. Uh, and in this case, what I would look to is to figure out the state of mind of people who pull the trigger on buying your game. And that that's very different for very different groups, you know? And what you're looking to do is figure out what's their state of mind and how do I understand it the best I possibly can 
and duplicate that state of mind as much as I can. Now you have something amazing going, which you never want to substitute organic for paid if you can in that like um, if you're doing something that's working and it's organic then what you want to do is double down on that because organic is free and organic is great sometimes you could use them in combination with paid but right now what you're having is you're having the goldilocks zone you have people bringing people you need to ask your people why they bring people who they talk to when those conversations happen do they happen after they win a game are they sharing screenshots of the game because they won uh, you know is it a discord server where they're doing teamwork that is making them uh, enjoy that and you know in that case you can't particularly advertise with discord but if discord was essential to it you know i would associate your product with teamwork or with people enjoying something together you know the face of that is crossfire the face of that is your game you know um that sort of association that's a really good uh, answer to my question actually i wrote it down so cool. <laughs> thank you for that yeah Feel free, that's, feel free to dig in awesome. if you have any like follow-up or, or further on. Dig it out of me. Uh, okay, so one thing about running ads on YouTube. How mm -hmm. do you feel about that? Huh, that's a good question. So I have done some very minor ads back in the day. The the key with advertisement is this. Uh, and this is this is how everyone does ads wrong. They go ahead and they advertise to everybody. They're like Let's advertise my product to as many people as possible. That's great. You want to laser focus your, your ad on your target audience, right? And so advertising for me is a step that comes after a deep investigation into the personality and into the desires and into the action points of your target audience. If you understand those very clearly and you understand where those people are hanging out and what they care about, um, you know, that that will motivate them. I'll give you an example. I have a friend, right? He found out that, or he's really good at marketing movies. Movies are just brutal to market. Why? Because you have to get people to go to a theater, right? I'm talking about move box office movies, not not like what you would normally have in like, uh, how do I say this? Uh, you know, selling a, a rental afterward or something like that. I'm talking about, you got to get people off their feet and to the box office. Extremely hard to do. What he f discovered is that the movie that he was marketing um, was really in line, like it shared values with how a certain restaurant marketed themselves. And so he looked up, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give away too much because this was a well-known event and I don't want to put too much personal information out there. But basically, let's just say that you found out that people who love your movie love to go to Wendy's, right? And uh, he, if you can make find those like detailed associations, you can target people who've liked, for example, the Wendy's Facebook page and know that you're going to convert really high because your goal is to allow, you know, get really high conversions on low impressions. And so understanding your audience is critical for that. So in the case of YouTube, let's say you have one YouTuber that has the exact target audience. You know, what I would do is make a deal with that YouTuber to promote you rather than using YouTube ads. I would I would do influencer marketing based on that. Um, you have a little less competition, even though it's getting pretty saturated right now. Uh, you have a little less competition. You're not competing with everybody out there. Uh, and uh, you get highly targeted, you know, a highly targeted niche 
it's about choosing the right niche that's really really important because you want to get conversions because you can get tens of thousands of people over to your page and not convert a single one of them and i've seen that happen in the past uh, people not understanding how to do advertisements you know